less than one-tenth of one percent of the world's population has the health and the wealth and the cultural and political freedom to live the lifestyle that we do. We're damn lucky. And when we can you know, get clear about that choice every day, choosing the stress, choosing the recovery, choosing the adaptation, the bottom line is after you take off your shoes and you take your shower and eat and whatnot and you go to work, and you get to work and somebody you know, gets in your face and starts giving you a hard time, are you gonna point the finger at them and go, you're doing this to me, or are you going to see it as an, another opportunity for growth by responding to the stress rather than reacting to it? If we point the finger and we make ourselves the victim, we never go to recovery and adaptation. We stay stuck in the stress, there is no growth. That was Zen man Shane Eversfield, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We caught up with Shane last month at his home in Ithaca, New York. We were connected with him by our friends Brian and Karen Delaney at High Peak Cyclery in Lake Placid, where Shane used to work. They thought he'd make a good connection for us, and they could not have been more right on. In reading up on Shane, it was as if we were reading about the long-lost sibling of Yogi Triathlete. He may use some different language than us, but the message is the same. Mastery is not found with mind over matter philosophy, but to quote Shane, it's found within mind in matter. It's about showing up to be present in training and competition, to feel the full range of an individual swim stroke, cycle of a pedal rotation, and complete touchdown contact and toe off of each foot strike. By bringing mindfulness into training, the physicality of our sport, the swim, bike, and run, those components, they become the mantra. We talk about how endurance training is fertile ground for mindfulness training, the difference between being process-focused and goal-focused, the gift of movement, and how we've lost sight of the playfulness that we used to have as kids in our sport. Shane has been practicing Tai Chi and mindful running since the late 1970s. He has a BA in modern dance. He is a USAT level one coach, a total immersion master coach. He is a bike fit specialist, author of Zendurance, a spiritual fitness guide for endurance athletes, a book that was inspired by his first Ironman experience. And as far as his athletic resume goes, well, you're going to need to take a seat for this one because it's lengthy. He has completed numerous, I'm talking more than I can list, 10Ks, half and full marathons, ultra marathons, 24-hour triathlons, off-road Xterra triathlons, sprint, Olympic, half, full, and double Ironman distance triathlons, and open water swim competitions. Now, Allow me to indulge you in a few of his career highlights. In 2004, he was the first person to complete Ironman Lake Placid on power cranks. And if you don't know what power cranks are, they are independent bicycle cranks, meaning one leg cannot help the other in making the pedals go around. So it forces the rider to learn how to pedal a bicycle in an efficient and powerful way. In 2006, he completed 
Ultraman Hawaii World Championship, a three-day triathlon, which includes a 6.2-mile swim, 261.4 miles of cycling between the first and second day, and then 52.4 miles of running on the final day. Then, in 2012, he figured he'd up the ante, and he did the Triple Ultra, which essentially was three of these three-day ultra triathlons within 30 days. And this was all on minimal training. Just recently, in June, he received inspiration that he put into action with his one man, as in solo, moving beyond ALS quintuple Ironman in celebration of his gift of mobility and in honor of his stepbrother who died from ALS. He not only raised money for the ALS Association, but he completed 99 hours of movement, totaling 500 miles, with all 846 lengths completed in a pool and cycling and running on a five-kilometer course in order to keep costs as minimal as possible. I really can't say enough about Shane's accomplishments, but overall, what we really want to celebrate is his contribution to the mindful athlete community. So are you fired up for the show? I am. I've already listened to it a couple times. It's a quick one because we only had a small window of time with Shane, but it is power packed. And then after you listen to this episode, stop back at your computer, check out the show notes for this episode at yogitriathlete.com and click on the link to get yourself in the running for our September giveaway with Trigger Point Therapy. We know you're listening. You keep coming out of the woodwork to tell us that the show is making an impact on your life. So why not share that with the iTunes world? That's all you have to do. Just copy the words from the feedback you've already sent us and paste it into iTunes. Could this be any easier? This couldn't be any easier, you guys. All right. Now, speaking of ease and flow, sit back and get ready to learn how to turn the impossible into possible with ease and flow. Everyone, I give you Yogi Triathlete Podcast, Episode 20 with the one and only Zen Man. All right, well, then we're just going to dive right in because we've got you for a little bit of time here this morning. So tell us about, just tell us about Zendurance, like the birthplace of it. So I lived in uh, Kona, Hawaii for 14 years. And for the first eight years that I lived there, I would not go downtown during Ironman week because I knew that as soon as I was exposed to the race that I would, you know, feel compelled to do it. So finally, in 1998, I went downtown, volunteered at the um, uh, out on the run course uh, at, in the Energy Lab, and went to the finish line with the resolution that I was going to do Hawaii Ironman the very next year, even though I'd never done a triathlon. So I began to train, and I'll preface this by saying that as a Big Island resident, there are 30 slots for locals to get into Hawaii Ironman. So my chances of getting in were a lot greater than someone, you know, worldwide who's competing for one of those slots. So I, I did um, qualify at the half iron uh, in May and began to train towards doing Ironman. And, you know, I had no experience at this. Uh, Hawaii Ironman was my third triathlon. Um, and I figured that, well, you could never train enough. It was just 
putting in as much volume as you could and hoping that you weren't going to, you know, die along the way. So I had no biomechanical issues at all. Um, my background is modern dance, and I've been, um, you know, using mindful movement for my whole adult life. So five weeks before the race, I woke up on a Sunday morning and I uh, laid in bed and started crying because I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Um, I had totally flatlined my endocrine system. I had, you know, really kind of destroyed it. And it just, you know, overnight that night, I kind of went off the cliff. So it was the first time in my life that that was, I was uh, 42 years old, the first time in my life that I felt like, you know, wow, I'm, I'm mortal. I'm going to die someday. So I had 35 days to recover enough to stay al alive to make the starting line and to um, train enough to be able to make the finish line. And it was a, a really uh, very, very difficult time to kind of walk that razor's edge. But I made the resolution that if I uh, made it through this, I was going to write a book about addressing the discrepancy between the glorious athlete and the ordinary human being. And so I did finish the race and I began kind of incubating and writing the book the very next day. And originally it was called Iron Zen, but during the course of writing it, I began coining and using this term Zendurance. Zen meaning mindfulness, endurance being endurance athletics. And my whole approach with it, uh, with doing Ironman was using the, the, my background in mindful movement as a way of, uh, you know, training and, and um, doing events and things like that. So that the arena of triathlon or, or um, any endurance sport becomes a really um, fertile ground for training mindfulness. And that just, you know, doing sitting meditation, the motivation to do that, the benefits that one sees in, in doing that are very vague in the beginning. Um, so that having something like a goal, for instance, you know, deciding that you're going to get into triathlon and do races and things, you start with extrinsic benefits that can kind of kickstart you into that process of doing mindful meditation or, or mindfulness training. And that the, the training for the endurance athletics being cyclical rhythmic movements becomes kind of the mantra. And at the same time, I have a, you know, a extensive background in a more traditional form of mindfulness, and that is um, Tai Chi. I've been doing that since I was 19, um, so 40 years now. And it's the best um, investment I've made in my life. I, I don't own any monetary, I, I own nothing. I don't even own a car. Um, but I, and I just last week got on Medicaid, first time I've had health insurance in uh, 30 years. So I, don't have, I haven't had health insurance, but I have health assurance. So I, the Tai Chi is a traditional form of mindfulness training. I don't know it as a martial art. I only, only know it as a, you know, slow moving meditative form, but it's been, um, you know, very powerful in that, in that mindfulness training and has really played very extensively into my approach to doing endurance athletics. What is your definition of, of mindfulness? I'm in the process of writing another series of books. Um, this one called Kaizen Endurance, Your Aerobic Path to Mastery. 
and I just finished writing the intro book. And I, during the process of that, I, I was really, you know, grasping to define mindfulness. Um, it's, it's, you know, in the, in the kind of classic context, it's seen as the ability to be present in this moment, to fully invest your awareness and your attention in this moment. And I've begun to look at that um, in a little more nuanced way, and that is that during mindfulness training, uh, like for instance, sitting in meditation, people feel that the goal of that is that you're going to have your mind not have thoughts. You know, that you're, the success of being able to sit and meditate is being able to turn your mind off. Well, you know, it's the monkey mind. I mean, it's, it, it, your attention is gonna go somewhere all the time but that what we're doing first is awakening an awareness that stands outside of that attention, an awareness that is calm and still and, and very present. And during mindfulness training, whether it's you know, through uh, training for a, a triathlon or traditional sitting meditation, that the awareness behind or above the attention Every time that the attention wanders, the awareness is aware of that and is able to direct and bring the attention back. And that the attention is always focused on sense felt experiences, thoughts, feelings, or some combination thereof. And again, the, the, the attention is always going to be active. Um, uh, the awareness is, is being able to, you know, what we're doing in mindfulness training is we're interfacing the awareness completely with the attention so that we're able to fully invest the attention in the present moment as it's unfolding, not drifting into the past or the future or towards our fears or our judgments, our likes, our dislikes, and so forth. And so it brings us so that we're really fully investing in the present moment. And I think that's... Um it's paramount to any kind of athletic success. And this is really what we talk about with Yogi Triathlete. I mean, I think Zendurance and Yogi Triathlete are pretty much we're sharing the same message and reading through your website, we're talking about the same things. It's just you have your own individual language and we have ours, which is great. Yeah. But as far as, um, you know, an athlete out there racing who the untrained mind, which is how I usually refer to it as, you know, mm -hmm. a mind that is just left to be the monkey swinging from vine to vine. I mean, how detrimental do you think that is? Or how detrimental do you consider that to be an athlete going out, doing the volume, doing all the physical and nothing for the mental, like nothing with the mindfulness? So, you know, it has to do with approach um, and the way that I kind of, illustrate this is you know most athletes they'll go to the coach and they'll say well I want to do Lake Placid Ironman in 2017 I don't take care what what it takes to get me there just you know write me a program I'm going to follow it I'm going to I'm going to get there I'm going to make that finish line and yet if you look at a musician they don't go to the teacher and say well I want to play Dvorak Symphony in 2017 at the JFK Center I don't care what it takes just get me there they're, the focus is process rather than goal. So athletes tend to be kind of goal-focused where artists are more process-focused. And, you know, we need a balance of the two, you know, process without direction, without goal. Who knows where it's going? 
But goals without process is where we end up doing damage and things like that. So as far as, you know, athletes, again, I, you know, I, I speak from experience of that, well, gosh, you know, the only way to do Ironman is I have to really, you know, churn out this volume and, and you know, all of that is um, as athletes, we focus on training the metabolic system, the aerobic system, the heart, lungs, the ability to produce energy, you know, all of that. And if you're 28 years or older, your aerobic capacity is diminishing. Hopefully not too quickly, but it is diminishing. So all conventional training programs have you focus on trying to keep that aerobic capacity as long as you can, a, a, uh, uh, a scarce and diminishing resource. So imagine the aerobic capacity is like a wall and basically your training is about pushing as hard as you can against that wall to keep that wall from moving towards you. And that, you know, as athletes, we train the metabolic, we train the muscles and we train the neural. And if you ask a, a room full of people, I've done this many times, you know, which system responds and improves the most training. What people don't get is that the neural system is the one that responds and improves the most. This is the most plastic system. So while you have this aerobic wall that's encroaching towards you and you're banging your head against the aerobic wall, if you turn around and focus on training the neural, there's no wall there. So that as you age, you gain kinetic intelligence, um, you gain, which is kind of the, the wisdom, um, and that you can become more efficient by, by focusing on neural training rather than aerobic. So as a result of that, you know, I do uh, uh, long ultra events. I've done double irons, triple irons, um, you know, events that last several days. And there's no, you know, I, I train an average year round probably of 13 to 14 hours a week. That includes strength training. Um, doesn't include the Tai Chi, but it includes, you know, strength and stretching and things like that. So that by structuring the training around focusing on the neural system rather than the aerobic, my aerobic system still gets trained. I can still do interval work, but everything I do is structured around always crafting really good strokes and strides, really good technique. So essentially what you're talking about is what science has found, which is the neuroplasticity, right? That we yes. can create these new neuropathways. Yeah. And um, you talk a lot about craft and technique as the most important things, would you say, leading up to a goal? Yes, I think, I think so. You know, the, what happens with people is, you know, when they sign up for the race or sign up for the first Ironman, the whole focus on, getting, on doing volume is that they're going to somehow assuage or, or calm their uncertainty and their fear about what's going to happen. So, you know, especially here in the U.S., you know, we live in the, in the most, quote unquote, secure society in the world, but there's no such thing as security. And we really abhor uncertainty. We're, we, we associate fear with uncertainty. If we're put into situations where we don't know the answers, where we don't know what's going to happen, how do we react? We react with fear. And that really uncertainty is about opportunity. So the reason that Iron Man has become this big cult thing in the world is because most of the people who do it are pretty well off. They live pretty secure, stable lives. But they've gotten to the point where they're stagnant 
And so they realized that the only way to, to you know, address that stagnancy and that feeling dead is to, you know, put their asses on the line. So they sign up for Ironman and then they're like, oh my God, what did I just do? And it, you know, it puts them in front of something that brings a lot of uncertainty. So part of the, you know, the mental training for it isn't that you're, you're not going to, you know, conquer the fears. You're not going to stop the uncertainty. You're not going to, you know, answer the questions before the event, which is what most athletes, I think, try to do in the training is to, con- and again, I speak from experience, is to convince themselves that, yeah, I'm going to be able to do this. You know, when I lived in Kona training for Ironman, it was like I went out and rode the bike course every Saturday. It didn't matter whether I was, you know, fatigued or not. It was like, I need to do this to prove to myself that I can do it. And I mean, it was great training as far as staying present, being mindful, being battered by the wind while I'm out on the bike and the you know heat and, and that kind of thing. But it was really damaging to the body. And, you know, after going through chronic adrenal fatigue syndrome three times, I'm like, no, never again. So I'm doing, you know, every year several multi-day ultra events without any of this you know by by just approaching it from that mindfulness standpoint so again it comes back to you know most athletes are they're they're going to work with metabolic metrics you know power output uh, pace heart rate things like that I think there's some validity to that especially to keep from overtraining but I think it's it's highly overrated and um, I've actually talked a little bit with Joe Friel about this, um, <clears throat> that, you know, really the focus is and should be more on neural training. Um, I think the reason that there's not as much of an emphasis on neural training is one, because it hasn't been what the convention has been. Two, nobody knows how to measure it. And people want those numbers. They want that. Yeah. They want they're they they will not trust their own feelings. They mm-hmm. want the metrics. Yeah. So how do you so if an athlete approaches you or swimmers approach you and how is that transition? How does that work? Because I come across that a lot. People want the watts. They want the power. But when you try to give them ranges of time to do workouts or you give them the opportunity to own the feel of the workout, how how have you worked through that transition or has that have you? Have you, has that come across for you? So, you know, I, I've had a number of people ask me to coach them. And the only person I ever agreed to do that with was a guy who wanted to do Lake Placid Ironman. This is when I lived there. And he had never done a triathlon before. And the reason that I uh, accepted uh, his, you know, uh, invitation was he had climbed Everest. And I knew he had the, the mental skills and that, you know, he could deal with the whole uncertainty and all of that and I don't coach I counsel you know I'm an educator I'm not a coach I don't write programs because I'm I'm honestly if I wrote somebody a program I'm afraid they're going to follow it and that they're not going to trust their own feeling so I counsel athletes on you know uh, how to prepare for their goals things like that but you know I mean my own training is completely by feel I haven't used a heart rate monitor in 10-15 years no, no power meter. You know, I, I wear a watch. I keep, I log my time, and I know what zones I'm in as far as intensity. But you know, I'm, I'm not really. I'm more focused on the feel. And I think that when athletes are staring at the power meter, they have no idea what's going on in their bodies, how they're relating to the bike. They don't really have an, a feel for um, their technique. They're too, too much chased on the metrics. And 
none of that is helping them widen any kind of neural pathway to a more mindful approach, right? People, people want to know how to live life easier, but yeah. they're not willing to do it. And the thing about athletes is that they have what it takes because they've got the discipline and the will. But I think the uncertainty is what scares the hell out of them is that, you know, sitting in a practice, they're not seeing a result. And so, again, I, we believe that there is some validity and some, some use to the numbers. But, you know, if you're just going to go off power, what happens when your power meter breaks during a race? I think the power meter is fine if you can begin to equate that with perceived rate of exertion and if that's what it takes. Right. And that's what I was initially thinking is that sometimes I think the reliance on the data um, allows them just to continue to move on autopilot. Oh, yeah. And, and there are some yeah. who are tapping into that feel. And that's how BJ coaches is that he'll let, you know, they use the data, but then he'll pull it away. Mm -hmm. and yeah, then, I want them to feel... They always get shocked when I give them ranges. I'm like, I want you to run for 60 to 90 minutes and go out and see how you feel, knowing based on what you just did the previous days. And you may feel good or you may not feel good. I can't tell that. So I can't give you a specific workout, but I want them to feel and give them the ownership to take control of. Yeah, and, and, and you know, the, the most accurate metric for measuring metabolic intensity um, is really perceived rate of exertion. Um, you know, you can go into the lab, take your heart rate monitor in there, um, run on the treadmill and get your, you know, have them prick your finger and do the lactate uh, measure. And they'll tell you where your lactate threshold is, what heart rate that is. And that's fine for that day on that treadmill and that temperature and that humidity and how much caffeine you had that day and how much you trained the day before and what your chemical levels and mental levels of stress are but it's gonna skew every single day as far as where your heart rate is versus what your perceived rate of exertion is and what's really going on. So I, I think that the, the greatest tool athletes can have metabolically is being able to you know, monitor and know their own perceived rate of exertion and not having to you know, rely on monitors and metrics. And the only way to do that is to practice some sort of, of mindfulness. Practice, yeah, you got to right? be present with you what's going on and, and so what the sense felt experience is. I had asked you earlier about your definition of mindfulness and the one that I, um, it's uh, John Kabat-Zinn, which I'm sure you've yeah. heard of him, oh, yeah. but I just, I love his, the simplicity of his definition of mindfulness, which is moment to moment, paying attention on purpose. Yeah. Without judgment. Yep. John, John certainly has like the, the no frills, you know, this is it kind of thing. I mean, he's... He's really spot on. Oh, he's, he's amazing. I mean, he was, he's brought this stuff into hospitals decades oh, yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the top treatment centers in our country are, are now using mindfulness-based um, practices to mm -hmm. heal. Yeah, the, you know, one thing, uh, you know, he calls it mindfulness-based stress reduction. Yes. Which is, I think, is a misnomer. You, you can't reduce stress. You have no control over uh you know the day-to-day -day stresses that you encounter what you have what you have a choice about is whether you react or you respond so this is a the most valuable opportunity for athletes is you know the fitness cycle is one of stress recovery adaptation you, if you don't stress your body you're not going to get stronger it's that's the vector for growth 
But as I learned, because I, I identified training with just the stress component, was just keep ramping it up, ramping it up, ramping it up, and hope I survive to make the starting line of Ironman, is that you also have to orchestrate recovery and adaptation. So every day I put on my running shoes, I go outside, I do my run. I'm very, I'm very clear about choosing that stress and my ability to respond with recovery and adaptation. And then the question, the big question for all of us, especially as athletes, especially for those of us who, you know, live in a fortunate society like this, where, you know, honestly, like less than one-tenth of one percent of the world's population has the health and the wealth and the cultural and political freedom to live the lifestyle that we do. We're damn lucky. And when we can you know, get clear about that choice every day, choosing the stress, choosing the recovery, choosing the adaptation. The bottom line is after you take off your shoes and you take your shower and eat and whatnot and you go to work and you get to work and somebody, you know, gets in your face and starts giving you a hard time, are you going to point the finger at them and go, you're doing this to me? Or are you going to see it as an, another opportunity for growth by responding to the stress rather than reacting to it. If we point the finger and we make ourselves the victim, we never go to recovery and adaptation. We stay stuck in the stress. There is no growth. And this is the most powerful thing about what we do as athletes is we roll the wheel of that fitness cycle, that stress recovery adaptation every day when we train. We have the opportunity to create a set of navigational tools that allows us to learn how to, to, you know, orchestrate that fitness cycle. But it's really imperative that we take that, that same set of skills and navigate through our daily lives with it. And this is what, you know, what John Kabat-Zinn has done with the mindfulness training is teaching people how to be present with stress and how to respond to it without reacting. So it's not really reduction, it's just a transformation in our, in our relationship with it. I know we gotta we got wrap it up here. Um, you've gotta get going, but I wanna ask two more, two more questions. One, what, because I'm sure our fans wanna hear, what sort of diet do you have? What, what fuels you for these uh, long endurance races and, and how do you recover using food? So I eat very little grain. All my carbohydrate sources are uh, fruits and vegetables, pretty much. A little bit of grain, not much. Um, I do eat meat, and for a lot of people, that's a real uh, you know downer to hear that. I am a O positive blood type, and it just works for me. I was vegetarian for years and years and years, and when I went to a diet that included small amounts of meat, then it made a big difference for me. I eat a lot of healthy fats, tremendous amount of fat, very little carbohydrate. Um, the meats that I eat are all local, locally sourced. I have friends that raise their own livestock. They're clients of mine, so that's how they pay me is in, um, you know, is in uh, meat. And also the venison from local. You know, we've got a real deer problem here. So eating venison locally, um, you know, uh, local venison here is actually helping that ecology because otherwise they end up getting killed by cars. So that is a big part, you know, I, I don't, my body is really efficient at metabolizing fat. Um, I can do, last fall I did the JFK 50, I did on 100 calories an hour. 
the next weekend I did a marathon on zero calories and the following weekend I did a hundred mile on about a hundred calories an hour. And <clears throat> when you're burning fat as a fuel source, um, the, it's a less oxidative damage to the cells than burning carbohydrate and sugars. So the result is the recoveries are very rapid from just metabolizing fat. It's really just much more healthy to the cells of the body. And in those 100 calories, is it a gel or is it more? Uh, you know, a lot of times it's what's on the course. Okay. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a real fan of Hammer products. I've been, I've, you know, been sponsored by them now for 10 years. I use a lot of their supplements on a daily basis. I use Heed. I use Perpetuum some. So, yeah, it's usually in some, some form like that. More complex carbohydrate and not so much simple sugars. So you recently completed the Moving Beyond ALS, I guess, individual event yeah. that you put on just recently. Um, tell us a little bit about that. So, uh, you know, Moving Beyond ALS was to raise awareness and money for the ALS Association. Um, it's a disease that affects the neural system. So, you know, being somebody who um, is so focused on neural training, to me, it's really significant. Also, my, my um, stepbrother died of it a couple years ago. So it's just an, also a way of, of um, honoring him. So that event I did as a uh, closed course format. I started it here and it was all local and I kept it you know, very low as far as expenses. I did a 12-mile swim and a 25-yard pool. And so that was, I think, 460 something out and back laps and I had people counting got out of the water and then I had a 5k bike course over on uh, Cass Park so originally my intention was to do quintuple iron distance once I got over in the park and started with the bike I was really I realized how naive I was about the park itself and I was really amazed at the number of people who use the park and the number of activities that go on and it became really clear to me that I was not going to be like, I'm more important, get out of my way, I have to get, you know, these miles under my belt and so forth. So I, you know, kind of gave up the, I have to get 560 miles on the bike so that I could be more aware and more appreciative of the, uh, all the activities that went on. So finished the bike with 400 miles and then ran 88 instead of 131. The weather was pretty hot. We were in the mid-90s during the day. There's not a lot of shade on the course that I was using. Uh, but it ended up really being, for me, a celebration of mobility, which all of the activities that go on in that park, I mean, I saw kids two or three years old playing soccer. I mean, they actually had like a little program for these kids, and it wasn't competitive. It was just very, very playful. I saw, you know, all kinds of team sport games going on, um, you know, from soccer to ultimate frisbee. I saw a woman with two dogs towing her on, on like her skateboard, almost like sled dogs. I mean, just the, the, the diversity and range of activities there just blew me away. And so it really was about celebrating mobility and about this gift of movement that we have. And that became really the, the, um, the theme of it. Um, and that, you know, for me doing these ultras, cause it's like, well, this is so extreme, you know, you, you could hurt yourself. And I mean, I heard this a lot. I even had one guy ask me, well, do you have a will? And you know, it's, it's, 
it should be more about honoring and celebrating and being healthy. So rather than being totally fixated on I have to do 703 miles, I ended up with a total of 500 miles and 99 hours. And I was like, ah, that's pretty good numbers. So I stuck with that. Yeah, I would say, and I saw in the pool you did 846 lengths of the pool. Okay, all right, I'll buy that's that. That's crazy. <laughs> and so just as we wrap it up here, um, I saw something in an article that was written about you, and I just loved it, that you describe yourself as an artist and yeah, that triathlons yeah. are your art. Yes, uh, you know, my, my background's in, in modern dance, and people are like, oh, well, you still dance? I'm like, yeah, I do, you know, triathlon is my form of dance. I mean, remember that, you know, swim, bike, run, these are sports from our childhood. I mean, these are activities from our childhood that we then, you know, have turned into this, this uh, game, which, you know, people take pretty seriously and spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on trying to get better and better and better and maybe lose, lose sight of the, the playfulness of it. But yeah, and this comes back to, you know, um, you know, every day that I train, I mean, I'm, I, I always have events that I'm, you know, looking at doing, um, but really the training for me every day is it's just, it's just like if I was picking up an instrument and practicing. It's just, it's just the craft of it. And so what would you say to somebody who, let's say they're about to race their first Ironman or half Ironman and they're starting to get into that fear cycle? What would you say to them to kind of bring them back? Let's say they're receptive. Let's assume they're going to be receptive. Bring them back to um, show them that triathlon can be their art form. Well, first of all, you know, when, you, when you're going to a longer and longer event, especially Ironman, I mean, you know, it, your first Ironman is going to be a death march. I don't mean that to scare you. It's just that the part of you that can't fathom that you're going to do it is going to die that day. You know, the thing to remember with, with going longer and longer distances is, you know, Ironman is not 140.6 miles. It's one mile 140.6 times. And it's all you can do, all you can inhabit and invest in is the present moment, is to execute or craft this stride, this stroke perfectly with the greatest efficiency. It's going to do the least amount of damage to your body. It's going to use the least amount of energy. Then when you get done with that stride or stroke, then do the next one and then do the next one and then do the next one. And it's just, I think, the, the biggest skill that we develop from this is the ability to stay present with it for longer and longer periods of time. So, you know, for instance, doing the, the Moving Beyond ALS, I mean, that was 99 hours. And, <clears throat> you know, I had some time off. I actually um, ran back here. When I finished the bike, I ran back here to my apartment. I did like 10K of the run and you know laid down for a couple hours and then got up and then took off again so there was a little bit of you know taking some time off there but it's it's about staying present and you know i mean the things that i'm doing they're really if you look at the field of endurance athletics it's not that remarkable i mean i have friends um who do deca irons that are continuous uh, my friend wayne kurtz has done several decas um, he's done a triple deca in Italy, which was one iron a day for 30 days. Um, so, you know, that for me, it's just to uh, really kind of keep my own perspective on that what I'm doing is not something that is like, you know, high and mighty. It's just it's just a day to day lifestyle. Yeah, it just is. Yeah. 
All right, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. This has been quality 35 minutes. So, Thank you so you know, much. Just, if people are, more, are interested in this kind of stuff, um, I'm on Facebook, uh, the Moving Beyond ALS. We had a Facebook page there. Um, I have a couple websites. One is zendurancycling.com. Um, I founded and, and developed a method for cycling that's kind of the companion to chi running and total immersion swimming. So I am a, a total immersion master coach, um, and I came into TI with that whole, uh, you know, bringing, I felt that it was a great platform for mindfulness, and I've been a real advocate for, um, uh, with the TI coaches about saying to them, look, you know, movement can change people's minds, you know, change, remap their minds. So be, you know, be aware that you have that potential to work with them on that level. Um, the other website I have is kaizendurance.com, um, and I'm, you know, right now <clears throat> working on a whole series of books, and I also offer, um, I've been piloting here locally, a Kaizen skills course for athletes, um, where we do some moving meditation in the beginning, and then we talk about uh, a lot of the mindfulness skills. Um, it's really inspired by John Kabat-Zinn's MBSR course. Awesome, and we're gonna put all those links up in our show notes, so if you right guys on. wanna check out more about Shane, um, we highly recommend, there's a lot to learn here, and if you dig the Yogi Triathlete message, you are gonna dig Zendurance big time. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, this is awesome. made it into town. I'm sorry, and, yeah. and this connection came through uh, the Delaney's and Lake Placid, so yep. it's just keep connecting the dots and it all comes together. All right. Awesome, thank you, Shane. So that was it, our chat with Zen man Shane Eversfield. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It is so power-packed. There are many, many nuggets of wisdom in there. I told you, I keep going back and listening to it, so I highly recommend just go back, start at the beginning, and listen through it because there's so much to pull out of this. And this integration of mindfulness into athletics is growing so fast. So if you're not on the train already, well, we can only hope that you're going to be ready soon. And listening to this podcast is the first step. But I'm telling you, to train, race, and live more mindfully creates this ease and flow in life that my experiences, it's just, it's uncompromised. No matter the challenge or chaos of the world around us, it's the only route to our most powerful selves and the only route to our greatest athletic performances. So again, I hope you guys enjoyed this show. Please share it with your friends, especially your athlete friends, maybe your mom and dad or people who don't really understand you as a triathlete. Maybe this will help give them some insight. So thank you so much for all the feedback you guys are getting us. Please go to iTunes, leave your review. And if the ALS Association speaks to you, just know that out of his $10,000 goal, Shane has currently raised just over $8,700. So he's so close to reaching his goal. There is a link in the show notes for this episode at yogitriathlete.com where you could click through and donate to help him reach his goal. And other than that, you guys, just keep riding that high vibe. I mean, it really is about living this higher vibration of life and this is what Zendurance is all about and this is what Yogi Triathlete is all about and this is the way that BJ and I are living our lives it's so easy 
to just ride that low vibe, to be negative, to feed thoughts of fear and doubt and all of that. It's the high road. It's the high vibe. It's the growth that is available in choosing away from the negativity that truly helps you show up in this life, the best person that you were meant to be.